some technical difficulties in the kingdom of God, but uh, that's all right. There's grace. Perhaps what you'll hear at another time was the sound of the shofar. So the shofar is the sound of the ram's horn. So you can look this up in your own time. I'm not uh, adept in blowing the ram's horn, but uh, you'll be able to hear this sound at another time. Now, the shofar is significant throughout the Bible. It was the sound of the shofar that the priests blew that brought down the walls of Jericho. It was the sound of the shofar that Gideon and the men blew that terrified the Midianites. And it was the sound of the shofar that Ezekiel was called to blow to warn the people of Israel about the coming judgments. Unfortunately, you cannot hear that sound right now, but perhaps you will at another time. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2, In 1 Timothy chapter 2, allow me to explain who I am and why I'm here. No introduction necessary, as you can see. In 1 Timothy 2, in verse 3, the Bible says this. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Paul was called a herald. For those of you that do not know what a herald is, a herald is someone who comes on behalf of the king. They're usually introduced by the sound of a blowing trumpet. But it does not matter about the messenger. What matters is the message. And I have a message for you here today. There is no greater message that you will ever hear. There is no greater proclamation ever, in any place, at any time. My message for you on behalf of the king is this. Worship the king. I will say it again. My message is this. Worship the king. You see, we live in an age where there are many kings. And you can choose which king you want to worship. But I'm here to tell you to worship the king, the only true king, the great I am, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, and that is King Jesus. I have three points for you this morning. The first point is this, fear the king. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. Thank you. 
In Exodus chapter 19, we see the people of God have come to the mountain of God. We know that in the Bible, a mountain represents a kingdom. This is a foreshadowing of God's kingdom here on earth, which is God's church, which is what you have come to today. So the people, they've come to worship the king, King God. And in Exodus chapter 19, in verse 16, the Bible says this. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. We see that when the people came to worship God, there were boundaries. There were parameters. There were limits to how the people could worship God because of God's holiness. See, we serve a holy God and we are an unholy people. And so that causes a problem because when an unholy person comes in contact with a holy God, you get what is called judgments. And the people came to the mountain of God. They came to the kingdom and they saw the mountain shaking and violently trembling with the holiness of God. Let us look at the people's response in chapter 20. In chapter 20, in verse 18, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpets and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Fear the king. The people were afraid of God. And why were they afraid of God? Because they came face to face with death. They realized that because of their unholiness, coming into the presence of a holy God, that meant that they would be killed. They said, we cannot come. We can't come to this mountain. We can't come and worship God because we will die. There's something about death happens to everyone. The mortality rate today is 100%. One of the only things that you're guaranteed in this life is that you will certainly die. Now, the reality of death changes everything. Most people don't like to think about death. You might be thinking like, where's this guy going with this? Like, I thought I came to church. I thought I was going to hear a happy sermon and everything. No, no, no. We got to talk about the fear of God. And when we come in contact with death, 
When we have the sobering reality of our own human mortality, it changes things. It changes how you think. See, for most people, death is a distant reality, something that will happen a long time in the future. It will come from a distance and you'll see it approaching and you'll be able to prepare. You'll be able to get ready to meet death. But the thing is, most people do not choose the time and place of their death. Most people greet death unprepared. And you see, when the people, when they came to the presence of God, they were afraid because they were not ready to die. Most people don't really think about death because they haven't had really any contact with death, maybe distantly with like a, a, a friend or a relative, somebody else. But few people actually think about death because they've not had what's called a near-death experience. Most people don't come close to death until they die. Now, I have had a near-death experience and it changed me. See, I grew up in Indonesia and after I finished university, I went back there to Indonesia and uh, Indonesia is a beautiful country, wonderful islands and beaches. And we went out to one of these island beaches and we were going to go out for, for the weekend. We were going to go out and camp on this beach for three days. Now to get to these beaches, you have to take a boat and there's no cell communication. There's no nothing. So you arrange for the time for the boat to drop you off. And then they come back three days later and there's, there's, there's nothing. And we got out to the beach and we start unpacking, we set up camp and everything. And we realized that we had two containers of food and one of them had gotten left behind. So we only had half the amount of food that we had prepared to go out there with. Now we had enough that we weren't going to die, but we would have been very hungry and very uncomfortable. And so one of my friends who was there, he had a, uh, a, a spear fishing gun. And he was like, oh, we can just go out, we can go fishing. And so I was like, oh man, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go catch some fish, put on my little hunter uh, band around my head or whatever. I was ready to go spear fishing. Now, I'm quite a good swimmer. I'm a very confident swimmer. And so I remember going out into the ocean. I was swimming out. Now, I'd never been spear fishing before and I wasn't very good at it. And I was very hungry. And so I continue staying out one hour, two hours two and a half hours, determined, I'm going to catch a fish. I'm going to go in. I'm going to grill it. It's going to be so tasty. And what happened was, is that it came quite late in the afternoon and I was getting, starting to get tired because I'd been swimming out in the ocean for several hours. And I was like, oh, I had to swallow my pride, realize I'm not going to catch any fish. I'm, I'm going to need to just, just go in and just see if anyone else caught fish from the camp and just kind of hope for the best. And I start turning back to the shore. Now, the shore wasn't far. It was only about 100 meters away. But 100 meters is very far when you're in the ocean. And I started swimming, and I realized that the tide had changed. And the tide began pulling me out. And what happened was, is that I was at the edge of the reef where a lot of the fish were. And so there's this reef, there's this reef, there's this reef, and then there's a drop-off. And it's nothing but deep blue darkness. And I start swimming and I start swimming and I'm not getting into shore. And I was like, oh, come on. I want to get into shore. It's, come on. This is taking, taking forever. And then I started to get tired. And then I started to get afraid because I'd never been in a situation like this in my life. 
And the, the current was pulling me out and there, there was a reef there. And I, I put my foot on the reef to stop me going further out, but I started to lose strength and I wasn't able to go back in. And now it's getting in late in the afternoon and there was a storm that started picking up out to the sea. And so the wind was bringing in the waves. And so my head was above water, but the waves started crashing down on me. And they crashed down on me and they crashed down on me. And I thought, I could die right now. I, I could literally drown right here, a hundred meters within view of my friends and family. And I, I turned to shore and I screamed as loud as I could with all the strength, help, help, help. And people heard me on the shore and they came and they, they came out and they swam out and they rescued me and they brought me back to shore safely. But I got to shore shaken, changed forever because I realized I almost died. Right now on the beach at 22 years old, my life almost ended. See, living in Indonesia, I was well acquainted with death because living in a developing country, things are much more dangerous there than in the Western worlds. See, my father, he worked as a pilot and the aviation industry is very dangerous. In fact, it was so dangerous that within a single year, within 12 months, there were 13 fatal air crashes where friends and family, people that we personally knew, died. I, I went to school. And one of my friends in school, his dad, died that morning because of an air crash. So I was well acquainted with death and I was afraid of dying. But I wasn't afraid of God. See, there are some people that are afraid of death, but they're not afraid of God. And why is that? Because they do not repent. See, I went to Indonesia and I was there for two years as a missionary and I called myself a missionary. I had the title, I'd been to Bible college, I did all of these amazing things. But the truth was, I was the furthest thing from a missionary because I was living a life of deep hypocrisy and deceit, deep impurity. Well, how deep you say? Well, I would look at pornography in the morning and I would lead a Bible study in the evening. See, it, got to, it was so bad that I went to a Christian conference learning how to be a Christian educator and how to, how to lead at a Christian school. And I left my friends to go to a brothel to be with a prostitute to then go back to the Christian conference like nothing happened. See, there was no fear of God in my life. I did not fear God. And it showed by my actions. See, there are some people that think that it won't apply to them, that God's judgment won't apply to them, that they are the exception to the rule. See, I was one of those people because I cheated a lot in life. I cheated in school and I got away with it. I was one of those people that cheated and didn't get caught. And I cheated. I had a lot of, not quite as near death as at the ocean, but on, on motorcycles, riding on cliffs. And there were a lot of very dangerous things that I took pride in. I took pride in that rebellion and danger and adventure, thinking that I was the exception to the rule, that God wouldn't catch up to me. And you see that there are some people in the church that think that God's judgment doesn't apply to them that there is no fear of God for them. 
If you turn with me to Leviticus chapter 10, I want to share with you what happens to those people. In Leviticus chapter 10, it says in verse 1, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. The Hebrew word for strain, for uh, unauthorized fire is the word zer. It means strange. Who were Nadab and Abihu? They were the chosen priests in the lineage of Aaron. And they came into God's presence irreverently, offering up strange, unauthorized, foreign fire, thinking that God's judgment did not apply to them. And they died for their sin. I want to ask you guys, for the disciples in the church, are you offering strange fire at the Lord's altar? I want to speak to the marrieds. Wives, are you living in contempt and rebellion of your husbands? Coming to church, offering up that strange fire. Do you have the spirit of God in you or the spirit of Jezebel? Husbands, are you living in the courtyard of cowardice? Are you more afraid of your wives than you are of God? Thinking that it doesn't apply to you. Thinking that your marriage is the one that won't come under God's judgments. I want to talk to the marrieds. If you do not fear God, you will lose your marriage. I want to talk to the singles. Are you offering up strange fire at the Lord's altar? Are you craving the comforts of this world and scorning service in the kingdom? So, so many people, they, they come to church late with a heart filled with apathy, filled with lust, filled with greed, filled with all of these things. Some of the singles say, if only I had more money, then I would have less problems. That's a lie from the devil. If only I were married, then I would be happy. Then I would be secure. Some of you do not want to get married. You just want to have sex. And that will not make you happy. It will not satisfy the spiritual needs that you have. What about the campus? Campus, are you offering strange fire at the altar of the Lord? Are you worshiping the God of your emotions? Are you bowing down at the altar of victimhood? Are you a prisoner of your past? Are you shackled with the chains of criticism? Are you carrying the burden of bitterness? Are you offering strange fire at the altar of the Lord? And don't forget the full-time ministry stuff. What about you? Are you bowing down and worshiping the God of miracles rather than the God who brings the miracles? Are you seeking first to be fruitful or seeking first the kingdom? Is your joy in how your leaders speak about you? Is your joy about how much stage time you get? Are you offering unauthorized fire? We see that when God's people, God's chosen people came into his presence irreverently, they died. What makes you think you are not any different? No one is above these things, not you and not me. You see, a month ago, 
I realized that I lost my fear of God's. Say, so why are you so preaching so strongly? Because I've lived all of these things. Every single one of them, I saw that I was living with contempt of God's. What is he? What are you talking about? I wasn't leading my wife. I wasn't washing her with the word. I wasn't setting an example in the home. I was living a hypocritical double life where the public, my public presentation didn't match the private reality. I was contemptuous of my leaders, not listening to direction and instruction. I was lazy, apathetic, sleeping in, not going out, not working hard. And most of all, I was not seeking God, was not seeking God with all of my hearts, having quiet times late in the morning or even in the afternoon whenever I got to it. See, why am I sharing this with you? Because as I was reading the Bible a month ago and I read through Exodus and Leviticus, I saw I'm Nadab, I'm Abihu, and I'm going to fall under God's judgment if I don't repent. And the fear of God came over me. And I hope the fear of God is going to come over you today. We must fear God because if we don't, we will die and go to hell. Yes, that's right. I said hell. This is a, not a popular word in today. It's not one that you hear very often, but it's a reality. Heaven and hell's a reality. God's judgment is a reality. And I'm here to remind you of the spiritual reality that some of you have forgotten about. Point number two. Bow before the king. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. You may be saying, oh, Colby, well, that's the angry God of the Old Testament. Can we get to the nice God of the New Testament, please? Well, let's have a look at that God. Let's see just how nice he is. Revelation chapter 19 in verse 11. The Bible says this. I saw, I saw in heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on horses and dressed in white linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe is on his thigh as a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Bow before the King. I'm here to talk to you about Jesus. Not Jesus, the baby in the manger. Not Jesus dying on the cross. King Jesus, who's coming back to judge the world. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. Verse six. He said to me, this is Jesus speaking. It is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. Amen to God be all the glory. But 
the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murders, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. They'll be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. King Jesus is coming back to judge the world. Do we have any liars in the house? Do we have any people who are sexually immoral? Do we have any cowards? Do we have any unbelievers? Do we have any people practicing magical arts? I am guilty as charged. Every single one of them. I stand here as a man condemned to God's judgments. I am totally guilty of every single one of these. And I should go to hell. That's what would happen, because that's what the Bible says. We don't like to talk about this. We don't like to talk about God's judgment, but we need to, because the good news has no impact without the bad news. The good news has no impact without the bad news. The bad news is you're a sinner and you're going to hell. But the good news is, is that Jesus is coming to offer you life, to offer you water from the spring of life without cost. It's free, a free gift, but it's something that you need. You need that free gift. Let me tell you what. Let us turn to Luke chapter 14. See, we're talking about King Jesus. As I said at the beginning, he's not the only king. He's just the true king. See, there are many kings of this world. Kings, weaker kings, conquered kings. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 31, the Bible says this. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. What is this free gift? It's called salvation. And how do you get it? It's called giving up everything. 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 Everything means everything. In the Greek, it means everything. In Spanish, it means everything. In Russian, it means everything. In London, it means everything. See, there's two kings, you and God. And because of your sin, because of my sin, we have declared war on God. Now, spoiler alert, that's not going to work out well for you. You will not win that fight. So don't try. Some people think they will. Some people think that they can go, they can fight God, and they're going to come up on top. They are going to be in for a wild shock on Judgment Day. See, we don't want war with God. We want peace with God. Right? I want peace with God. Yes, please. Peace, please. I surrender. I surrender all. Not surrender some. Not surrender most. Not surrender and change your mind. No, no. Surrender all. Give up everything. See, I remember being in London and I remember living this godless life where there was no fear. And I was living for sex, drugs, rock and roll. And I really wanted to be an atheist. I wanted to, to just deny everything that I had heard about Jesus in the past because I wanted to just harden my heart to suppress the truth with my wickedness. And I tried, but I couldn't. I would go out to the club, live my life of sin, 
come back. Hell's real. Jesus is real. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for me. I'm going to hell. And that sat in my heart. And I couldn't sin enough to suppress that truth. No matter how hard I tried, I knew that Jesus was real. I knew that hell was real. I knew that it was a reality. And it was that fear of God that brought me to God, where I said, okay, Jesus, Lord, you have peace, peace. I give up everything. And I made that decision to fear God, to become a true disciple, to give up everything. And it was the best decision of my life. See, when you remember that Jesus is Lord, the word means master, controller, or king. You don't negotiate with the king. You don't give orders to the king. You don't have a conditional Christianity where you get to decide what you want to do or not want to do, how much you want to give, how much is enough, how many days you want to be sold out, how much you want to share your faith. When is enough is enough? Enough is never enough. It's never enough. And if you really sit and think about it, with all of the sin that you need atonement for, enough is never enough. It's not possible. Now, the good news is that we don't need to earn our salvation because it's impossible. We can't do it. But the thing is, is that I've come in contact with a number of disciples in the church that they've changed their mind about the lordship of Jesus. Like, one sold out, not always sold out. See, you say, you come up here, you say, you say, Jesus is Lord. You get in that baptistry, you dry yourself off and you're fired up for about six days. And then you're like, what have I done? <laughs> Wait a minute. I, 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 know I, I, I know I said down the cost. I counted the cost, at least I thought I did, but, but what have I done? Like this, this discipleship thing, it's forever. Everything forever. Yes, that's how it works. It's everything forever. And guess what? You have to recount the cost with yourself on a daily basis. See, every day Jesus is Lord. And I want to preach to my brothers and sisters. There are some of you that are not counting the cost. They're not thinking about Jesus in your life. There are areas of your life where you have not surrendered total lordship. You're living a conditional Christianity on your terms, and there's no such thing. Conditional Christianity is counterfeit Christianity. So I have a simple challenge for you, just a question. What is the area of your life where you are not bowing down to the king? Now, we don't bow down very often. Like, like, when was the last time you saw, unless you're from Nigeria, uh, but in, when, <laughs> if you're in London, you haven't seen people bow down very often. Now, in the Bible, they talk about where people, their, their faces to the grounds. Now, I don't know about you, but for a long time, until I, I met some Nigerians and went to a couple of traditional weddings, like, I thought this is what your face to the ground looks like. Let me show you what face to the ground looks like. 
That is what face to the ground looks like. Some of you need to get down on your faces before King Jesus. How about it, brothers and sisters? Where's the area? Is it in your life? Is it in your convictions? Is it in your preaching? Is it in one church? Is it in your family? What is the area? Is it in your finances? Is it in special missions? Where are you not bowing down on your face to the king? Because there's no conditional Christianity. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Point number three, worship the king. I say it again. I say, worship the king. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 11, the Bible says this. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. You see that, the fear of the Lord. We try to persuade others. Now, that's not actually what the Bible says. See, the NIV, they, they add to the word of God, and we know we don't want to do that. We don't want to ever add to the word of God. See, in the Greek, there is no try. What it says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We persuade others. In verse 13, it says this, if we are out of our mind, as some say, and some of you might be thinking, I'm out of your mind. I'm out of my mind. You, 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 wouldn't be, uh, you wouldn't be shocked. It is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and raised again. The world is lost. The world is in sin. The world is in darkness. And King Jesus is coming back to judge the world. But remember we talked about that spring of life that Jesus offers at no cost. Well, there was a cost. He paid it. See, Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and for your sins. And we need to remember that. That's why every single week we talk about Jesus' death on the cross. That's not a tradition. That's not a habit. It's not a ritual we go through. It's essential. It's essential to Christianity. Never forgetting Jesus' death on the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been seasons in my life where I've forgotten about the cross. There have been seasons where I've forgotten my need for the cross. I've forgotten the bad news about my sin, about who I was before Jesus. See, Jesus died on the cross to give us salvation for free at no cost. The problem is people don't know about it. See, people do not know about the true resurrected Jesus. Why? People don't know about a biblical Jesus. You see, people today see Jesus as a man of no relevance, as a man of no significance, as a man of no impact. People see Jesus today as a bigot, as a racist, as a con man, and as an oppressor. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
Why do they have this false, misconstrued message of Jesus? Because there are so many counterfeit messages, counterfeit Christians portraying counterfeit Christs. See, what does the Bible say? We are compelled by Christ's love for us, by Christ's love for the world, that we do not live for ourselves. We live for Christ. It says, it says here in verse uh, 20, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God's. That is who we are. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are to go and to set the record straight, to preach the risen, resurrected Jesus, to dismiss all the falsehood, dismiss all the lies, the misconception, the confusion, just as our brother in Ukraine said. So many churches are preaching a false gospel that are confusing people, leading them astray. The world is lost. They're helpless. They're harassed. They don't know the truth. We've got to be the ambassadors. We've got to set the record straight. We've got to bring them to Jesus to reconcile a lost and sinful world with the King. Here's the truth. The decision to make Jesus my Lord and Savior, to the decision to make Jesus my King, was the best decision of my life. And that's why I don't try, but I persuade other people to make the same decision. See, that's who I am. I'm a herald. I proclaim the message of the King. That's what you are. Some of you have forgotten that. Let me remind you of who you are. You are a herald. You are given authority by King Jesus to proclaim his message, to preach this gospel to every nation under earth. See, the only way you're going to know a true Jesus is the biblical Jesus. So I want to challenge you very simply. Study the Bible right now. Don't wait till next week or don't wait until you feel emotional about it. No, no. Right now, today, with the person who invited you, study the Bible to find out about the true biblical Jesus. And in closing, I want to tell you a little bit about the King. I want to tell you about my Jesus, about King Jesus. See, the Bible says, my King is the King of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder if you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomena that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be at all sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. 
He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is right. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's irresistible. He's invincible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any faults in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah.